It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. I'm in York for the UK Championship, of course. Uh, and one of the great traditions of this podcast has been maintained because it seems whenever I record an edition in a hotel... It's uh, some sort of bylaw. There has to be work going on out, outside the window. And sure enough, literally right outside the window, they're working on the roof of the hotel. So if you can hear banging and crashing outside, that's what it is. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not saying it's been arranged entirely to derail <laughs> this podcast, but it seems to be a bit of a theme. We had it in Milton Keynes. I mean, it's, you know, the sound quality is no good anyway in, 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 at the best of times. But, uh, but here in York, uh, there's work going on, so if there's banging and crashing, that's what it is. But that's a, that's a, that's a side show, that's a side issue because, of course, the tournament is underway. Um, this won't be a long podcast because I've got to go and commentate, but um, it's been a terrific start because the qualifiers themselves are really interesting. I was there at Ponds Forge, and uh, that was a, an event in its own right. But we've come to York, we've come to the Barbican, and there is a feel, I think, that the UK Championship has been restored to something like former glories. This is what it used to be like at Preston. You get there. For the TV stages, there'd be two tables. You know, the arena would feel special. And I think Will Snooker Tour have done a really good job. I think they've listened to what people have said, players and particularly broadcasters, the BBC in particular. And, uh, you know, the view was that the UK Championship was falling behind the Masters. We need to upgrade it a bit. And they've done that. And the set is great. It looks good. We haven't got the sort of the crowded feel anymore. It's, it's the elite feel. The players who've made it here get to be introduced properly, they walk down the stairs, it feels good, and uh, in the early stages, I'm very encouraged by the crowds, there's a bit more to do backstage as well, so all in all, uh, terrific start to the tournament. We're going to go through emails, uh, we've had plenty in over the last couple of weeks, thank you for everybody who commented on the non-snooker player bingo last week, that was a lot of fun, but Alpha Bonzi always cuts to the chase, because we're the champion of champions, uh, so let's, let's just get into it. It says, another fine week in Bolton, three quick questions once again, and a suggestion. Number one, Ronnie O'Sullivan is champion of champions yet again. Is that the right result? Well, it is, because because <laughs> he won the final. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course it's the right result. I thought, uh, once again, it was sort of a bit like the world final in miniature, really, uh, against Trump. He uh, he responded when Trump came back at him. Now, obviously, it's a, a shorter match, but actually, because I wasn't commentating the last mini-session, I went in to watch in the arena, uh, up on the balcony. He really is something special. I mean, I know this is not news to anybody listening, but... Ronnie O'Sullivan in full flight playing well. There's something very, very special about it. And 
I, I watched him and just thought, you know, this. Yeah. I suppose two things. One, how can anyone play this well? And two, how long can he keep going? Because, you know, he's 47 in a few weeks' time. Alpha's second question, was I the only one that thought it was weird? There was no fist bump or whatever after Trump's maximum. I think it's fair to say, Alpha, you were not the only one. This, this raged, this debate raged uh, <laughs> online and elsewhere. Uh, I have to say, I mean, I think I was in a minority. I couldn't get too excited about it. Judge Trump made a maximum. There was no handshake from Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, now, he said at the weekend, and, and he's one of the few people that can say this, and actually it'd be true, he said that I'm not sure making a maximum is that difficult, and therefore that's special. Of course, he's made 15 in pro competition and hundreds, I'm sure, in practice, probably thousands. Um, the, the, the strict etiquette of the game, of course, dictates that you should do, but it's not a rule. Um, it's polite, I guess, and I suppose a lot of people felt that as Judge Trump was forced to sort of take part in, in the world's longest manhug with O'Sullivan after the Crucible final at the World Championship, that maybe some sort of uh, recognition would have been in order. But um, at the same time, I'm not quite sure what people want. Should Ronnie O'Sullivan be sort of stand trial for this? I don't think so. It's his choice. I'm not sure Trump was that bothered. And, you know, we move on. Um, I've written a piece on the Eurosport website about etiquette, and as ever with these things, there's a lot of hypocrisy. Uh, you know, people's own etiquette the way they conduct themselves on Twitter and other places is not exactly uh, exemplary, is it? So I have to say it didn't bother me that much, but I understand why people thought, in the strict sense of the sort of the, the you know, the good manners in the game, he should have done it. Yeah, he should have done it. But again, it's not, you know, the, the edifice of the game has not collapsed because he didn't. Uh, number three, Alpha, Alpha asks, uh, after Jiaxing Tong's collapse against O'Sullivan, where does it leave his UK title defence? Well, of course, this was written a couple of weeks ago. Well, his title defence is over. He clearly is not right. Um, his season was slightly derailed by COVID, of course. He went to Hong Kong, tested positive there, had to stay there for 10 days, so his, his preparation for Belfast was pretty much non-existent. But he didn't impress the champion of champions. I mean, he was nearly taken to three each by McNutcher in the first round, and then O'Sullivan wiped the floor with him. So, yeah, he's going through what I think a lot of players who rise to the top go through, which is higher expectations, therefore more pressure. I think in time he will deal with it, but at the moment it's a little rough patch, and... I guess he's got to try and dig his way out of it. And it may be that... <laughs> it's a bit like Joe Trump, actually. When Trump came along, there were a lot of expectations put on him. He matched them early on. He sort of, not fell away, but he, was, he wasn't winning consistently. It took a few years, and then, of course, he turned the corner. And there's no reason to believe Shazing Tong won't do the same. Um, these events are tough to win. He's maybe just a little bit low on confidence right now. But, uh, you know, I hope he turns it around, because he's a very, very entertaining uh, player to watch. Now then, Alpha, he said a suggestion as well. Uh, as China's off the calendar again next season, why not fill the gaps with some small but high-quality invitation events like the Hong Kong Masters, maybe to be held in places like Macau, Sydney and Las Vegas? I reckon they'd go down better with the top guys than the reviving PTCs, as some have suggested. Well, great. I mean, but the problem with that is someone's got to put the money up. That's all, you know, it's all we were saying, oh, let's go to Sydney, but, I mean, that will cost a fortune. You need a sponsor and broadcast all those things so in theory and I've mentioned the, these ideas myself a sort of World Series type tour around the world great but someone's got to pay for it and that's always always going to be the uh, the issue of course now then let's uh, move on and these, these emails are in no particular order for the, for the very simple reason that I've done virtually no preparation uh, now we I read John Bennett's email last week so we won't do that again uh, we'll get to this in a minute uh, Callum Law, yes, and he's written about the Champion of Champions. So, uh, I always look forward to the ITV tournaments, and we were treated to another good week of snooker. I thought there were a few interesting takeaways from the event. As it's been said plenty, it's a tournament that seems to suit and motivate Ronnie O'Sullivan, so it was no great surprise he won it. 
When he's playing well, his cubal control is on another level, and he seems to have a great knack of pulling away from his opponent when put under pressure, which we saw again when Judd Trump got back to 7-6 in the final. O'Sullivan produced three superb breaks after that to win the match. On Trump, I thought over the course of the week he was close to rediscovering his best form, and I wouldn't be surprised if he went on to win the UK Championship. Mark Selby also seems to be heading in the right direction, which is good to see, and I expect him to win a tournament again before too long. For what I've seen so far this season, now this is timely, because of course this was written a few weeks ago, but uh, Neil Robertson was beaten in the UK Championship. So Callum says, from what I've seen so far this season, Neil Robertson hasn't quite clicked into gear yet. But that's perhaps not surprising, given that he picks and chooses his tournaments and seems to build up as the season goes on. So it would probably be typical if, for Robertson if he was to win one of the upcoming tournaments. Well, <laughs> it ain't going to be the UK Championship, because he's out of that. Uh, it, didn't, it wasn't well, uh, it has to be said, but Joe Perry played, played I thought, very, very nicely. Anyway, this is me talking now, not Callum, but we'll go back to Callum. He says, there seems to be a lot of inconsistency in John Higgins' game at the moment. Again, Higgins is out of the UK. Uh, in his matches against Fafari and Selby, there were good bits and bad bits thrown in. Similarly, in the Northern Ireland Open, he won that classic with Jackson Page, followed up with a dire display against Robert Milkins. I don't think John is that far away from getting to the business end of tournaments again, if he can iron out one or two things. I know he's never been uh, one for coaches or seeking assistance from others. has always really done things his own way. But I wonder if it might be valuable for John to have someone in his corner to chat to about certain things and generally provide a shoulder to lean on. For me, his good friend Alan McManus would appear the perfect person. Not sure whether it's something John would consider. He maybe already calls Alan for advice on an informal basis. On a separate note, it was nice to discover that yourself, Phil Yates and Clive Everton, will still be involved in snooker scene going forward under Nick Metcalf's editorship. Plenty more to look forward to before the year is out. The UK Championship, Scottish Open and English Open. Thank you, Callum. Yes, well, on, in terms of um, John Higgins, I mean, I suppose you get to a point in your career when you, maybe you feel there's not really anything left people can tell you. He's a friend of Alan's, and I'm sure they, they chat informally, but uh, what, you know whether anything formal would be arranged, that's obviously, uh, obviously up to them. Now, last week we had, uh, we had um, non-snooker player Binger. Mark Wildman, of course, was a player, but he was known to many people as a commentator. And uh, James Cook uh, has written in to say that Mark's club was in... Mark Wildman's club was in Peterborough. He said, I played on a full-size table there for the first time in the mid-80s when I was 13 or 14. I remember it well. It looked huge. I also remember seeing him there a few times. Yes, he, he, he had that club, and as I say, he had the carom table there. Uh, but uh, he, he took it away to Spain. So that, that killed the British carom championship. Uh, we have uh, Jackie McCulloch. Uh, Jackie McCulloch. Who writes, I'm a partially sighted snooker fan. I'd like to know why the scores on the bottom of the screen are getting smaller. Yeah, well, I think this is particularly, I think, Jackie, to do with the qualifying. It's a, it's a very fair point, this, and it's something that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about graphics and people get annoyed by the, the layout, but actually, you know, some of our fans rely on them more than others and need them to be clear and need them to be easy to access. And I think accessibility uh, in snooker is something we need to think about quite, quite a lot. Um, because we want everybody to participate in the sport. So I'll pass that on. I mean, uh, I, I did find, because I was doing Judgment Day, which we'll get on to shortly, um, and we had the um, the four tables on one screen, so we could go, we could say to the director, we want to go to table two, we want to go to table three, whatever. And I found the scores difficult to read on that. So obviously, you know, it's something that maybe needs to be looked at. Anyway, let's talk about Judgment Day now. Uh, this was uh, last week in, in Ponds Forge. James Howard. So I wanted to congratulate you and the rest of the team for, for the great work you've done the last few days with the qualifiers for the UK Championship. Am I right in thinking it was your idea to have it covered as it is? It's totally transformed the format for the better, covering it the way uh, you guys do, and it's made what was something 
I was never bothered about when there was no commentary in the qualifiers into much-watched TV in the last few days. On a broader point, I want to say thanks for all the great work you're doing in terms of conveying ideas and raising other issues to the guys in charge. It's really important that guys like you who are embedded in the game use their voice the way you're doing. I've heard on your podcast you mentioned multiple times that you'll pass on grievances and suggestions from emails of the podcast to the relevant people in order to improve and grow the game. You and the rest of the team are doing amazing work and in my opinion have far surpassed the BBC in coverage and yourself and Neil Foles continue to be the best comedy duo around. Keep up the good work. Well, that's very kind of you, James. There's a lot of praise there, which uh, I wasn't too embarrassed to read out. As you'll notice, I, I'm certainly I'm certainly well known for passing on grievances, usually my own. <laughs> but um, in terms of the qualifiers, well, I mean, full disclosure, what happened was at the start of the season, me and Phil Yates were at the Championship League and we commentate on that for matchup. And we were saying it seems odd that the World Championship, the, sorry, the World Snooker Tour qualifiers, which were being played in the weekends between Championship League, have no commentary on them. And so we put a proposal into World Snooker Tour and said, look, why don't you trial doing some commentary, but tie it into promoting ticket sales and, and whatever you want, really. Promote the World Snooker Tour, but also give the, the qualifiers a bit more coverage. And to their absolute credit, they went away, they considered it, they spoke to their broadcast partners, and they came back and they said, OK, we'll try it at the UK Championship Qualifiers. So myself and Phil and Stephen Hallworth did uh, the Monday, Tuesday, two days, and then the Judgment Day was always going to be done anyway. Um, and so, yeah, and it went really well. We had a lot of engagement. And what was interesting was a lot of places around the world, because we've spoken on the podcast before about some places in the world, it's actually quite hard to access snooker uh, to watch. North America in particular seems quite troublesome. We had a lot of people from uh, America, Canada, and other parts of the world as well, really um, happy that they could get it for free on Facebook and YouTube on, uh, through the World Snooker Tour channels. Um, it was on Discovery Plus as well, but Facebook and YouTube, it was free. And we had huge... Uh, viewership and it was it was projected at the start of the week uh, so we said well what, how many people do you think are going to watch what what sort of hit rate are we going to get the projection was it would probably be about half a million and we ended up with 1.2 million so it was more than double what was projected um, and this is for obviously there were no top 16 players involved but the qualifying drama was very very high the judgment day very enjoyable to do actually um because it's a new thing to do, and I think doing new things is always interesting. For me, uh, I got to essentially sort of direct the coverage in as much as I could choose which table we were going to watch, and you try and you know pick out moments in frames where things are getting close or getting interesting. Try not to miss too much. We obviously we tried to centre on Jimmy White's match very much with Dominic Dale uh, on Judgment Day, but yeah, it was it was good fun and. Um, and credit to World Snooker Tour, they, they, they took on board what we'd suggested, they gave it a go. When it, whether it will come back, we don't know, because they've gone away to crunch the numbers. So we wanted to do it for the German Masters, because the top 16 are actually in that. You know, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Judd Trump, Mark Selby, all those guys are playing in that. I don't think that's going to happen, because I think it's, it's judged to be too soon. But hopefully going forward, we'll build up more coverage and maybe do more sort of Judgment Day style things in the future, particularly if the sort of tiered format He's introduced for more ranking events. So it was thoroughly enjoyable. And, um, yeah, I would be very happy <laughs> to do that again. Uh, Lawrence Carpenter. Uh, he says, I'm a regular listener, but first time emailer. I love the podcast. Thank you, Lawrence. I noticed this week the ATP Tennis Next Gen Finals were being played for the best under-21 players of the season. I was wondering if the same would work with snooker, with the age limit possibly being adjusted up slightly, maybe to 25 I realise, as you always say, it comes down to money, sponsors, venues, broadcasters and the like. But do you think there would be an appetite for this in snooker and whether it would have any value? It could be a top, an eight-player event similar to the existing tour championship involving the top eight young players on the one-season ranking list not already qualified for the main event. Although snooker is a great product, 
Tournament like this could promote the profile of the best young players and help secure Snooker's future. Thanks again for a great weekly listen. Well, thank you, Lawrence. It's a very good idea. Um, there was a thing years ago, and there's footage online. I think it was called New Kids on the Bays, and there were various people who went on to be professional players who played in it, um, teenagers, people like Barry Hawkins, I think uh, Paul Hunter uh, played in it, and uh, various others, and I think uh, Sean Murphy, these sort of people. Anyway, they, they played in uh, this, this event, which was shown on the satellite channel. I think Steve Davis presented it. And that sort of thing definitely is, um, I think, would be popular, but it's finding a broadcaster to do it, because there's a lot of snooker on TV already. So would all the broadcasters who already cover snooker think we want another event? Um, maybe the, the, the way to do it would actually just bring these guys into, for example, here in York, we're not playing in the mornings, maybe you could have one morning. I'm not suggesting every morning we should be there, but one morning at the weekend, maybe. Have a little tournament, maybe have qualifiers for someone else, have a final between two teenagers just to sort of showcase the next generation. It's a good idea. Um, it just needs someone, I guess, to push it forward. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a sound idea. And as you say, it, it actually, it's actually a big deal, isn't it, in, in, in tennis? Um, I guess TV coverage, and it's uh, it's uh, very popular. So uh, it's something that maybe could be thought about. Uh, <clears throat> Now then, Chris Boggan. I don't know whether I read this out or not, Chris, but anyway. Any idea why it's called a frame of snooker? I don't, actually. Uh, maybe I should have asked somebody before answering your question. I'll try and find out. Uh, <laughs> that's the answer, I'm afraid. Uh, anyone knows? Let us know. Tom writes, I see a lot of the snooker tournaments. The many, I see in a lot of the snooker tournaments, many in the audience are wearing earphones or headphones. What are they listening to? Do they hear the same commentary that we hear at home? Are those private headphones or are they provided or rented by the venue or by World Snooker Tour? Well, Tom, uh, they listen to the commentary uh, from from the host broadcaster. So, in the case of the UK Championship, the BBC. So, you can buy the headset when you when you come in. I think it's maybe ten pounds or something. But you can keep that for for the whole time you attend. Uh, the very early ones are interesting. I, I had one of the early ones. This is literally fifteen years ago when they first started. If you took them home, you could pick up literally Radio One <laughs> on them. I'm not sure you were supposed to. A bit like the old days when you sort of you would get the uh, the police radio. Uh, anyway. Uh, but that, that's what they are. They, they, uh, they, yeah, you can listen to the commentary. There's, there's always a moment, it seems every day, where someone's got it turned up too loud. Um, and the referee has to tell them to turn it down. Uh, but uh, yes, that's what it is. You, you buy them from the venue, you listen to the commentary, and uh, it's, I suppose it's a little bit like being at home. And of course, you can watch on the screens as well. So you can actually, you know, it is, is a little bit like sort of watching at home. The only difference being you're not at home. <laughs> um, Paul Tibble, usual pleasantries for the podcast. It's been more than excellent lately. Another one that's been sent to the wrong podcast. Anyway, do you have any sway with the producers of ITV's coverage of the snooker? If so, please ask them to update the players on the screen. Most of the players are long retired and aren't relevant adverts for today's game. Whilst the coverage and commentary is excellent, I feel the opening and closing titles will be more relevant and updated. I'm sure this would please Judd Trump. I also like other contributors' idea of a home of snooker. This is surely a very good idea, especially for non-televised coverage of qualifiers, etc., it may make it easier and therefore cheaper for low-ranked players to attend. Perhaps it could double up the pool too and increase that sports profile. What about a home of Q Sports in general? Well, again, I mean, that that is dependent on on finances. The ITV thing. I mean, the the point. The Champion of Champions. Yeah, they have the the pictures of all the old players because because it's the Champion of Champions. It's actually the idea. I'm sure of that is to pay sort of respect to the idea that we're honouring champions in the sport and of course there have been champions that come along I quite like the shot of Terry Griffiths smelling the flowers I think that's a nice nice touch Ray Reardon wearing the, the visor and it's just to I suppose acknowledge that although 
you know, ITV cover it in a modern way. You know, they used to cover it years ago, and they, they you know, people talk about. I, I actually, I'm going to say this, and you know, uh, you know, let, let let people make their own judgments. I think the BBC, of course, have done a great job in popularising snooker in Britain, but it's often only the BBC that are ever mentioned. ITV showed a lot of snooker in the 70s on regional television, so all their regional stations had their own events and their own coverage, and they showed a lot of snooker in the 80s. It wasn't just the BBC, okay? ITV as well, back in the day, and again now, have done a lot for snooker in Britain. Um, and I suppose the titles, I mean, there's nothing to do with me, but I suppose the titles are a way of honouring that and also honouring the, the, sort of the current players. So... Anyway, uh, you know, you, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But that's uh, that's what I think. Uh, now then, we move on. Anthony Fitzpatrick. I quite like this email because it's short and quite grumpy. Uh, he says, "I turned off the first match. This is champion of champions. I turned off the first match between Selby and Walker halfway through the first frame and watched boxing highlights from the weekend. Like Jimmy and David Lilly in previous years, got thumped. And in some ways, it's very embarrassing for them because they just aren't competitive at that level." They need to strongly review decisions for World Seniors to get a spot in this. So Anthony's saying that the World Seniors Champions shouldn't get in the Champion Champions. The truth is, had there been more than 16 winners on the on the World Snooker Tour, Lee Walker wouldn't have got in it. Um, but I think the decision was made, a bit like with the Women's World Champion, it, it makes it interesting to honour champions in snooker in general. Um, and I actually thought, I fancied him doing better than he did. I thought he might give Selby a game, but he, I suppose you do see because he hadn't been on the tour uh, for, for a few months. Lee Walker dropped off last season. You know, it's hard to compete at that level, sort of thrown into the Lions' den one table against a, a four-times world champion. Um, but I personally don't have anything against the seniors getting in. Obviously, it has to be after all the all the main tour players. Um, but doubtless people will disagree, and indeed Anthony does. Adam Fisher. During a Luca Brussell interview at the Northern Irish Open... Last week, Lucas said he was loving his life on and off the table and is, or wants to, can't remember what exactly he said, pick and choose his torments. He was casually laid back in his chair as if lounging by the pool on holiday. And I thought, fair enough, no harm in that. Ronnie was sat next to him and said something like, that's hard to do. There's a lot of good players around. This got me thinking. Lucas is a multiple ranking event winner and a triple crown finalist. Yet he has as many crucible match victories under his belt as Dave Tyndall. <laughs> one in the eye for Dave, isn't it? So is Luca the most successful snook player with the worst crucible record? If not, who is? Ooh. Well, it's a, it's an interesting subject. I mean, he's lost, I think, four matches there. Um, all four matches he's played there. Might even be five. Anyway, he's never won a match there. Uh, the, the joint record for uh, matches played without winning one at the crucible is eight. Rex Williams and Cliff Wilson. But, of course, they weren't as successful in terms of winning tournaments as, as uh, Luca Purcell. Uh, it's a mystery, really. I mean, I, I suppose, and, and, and commentating at the Barbican, you do see it, it kind of... The, there's a lot more space around the table here than there is at the Crucible. And you do see why that tournament in Sheffield is so specifically difficult to win because it is cramped, it is intimate, and it doesn't suit everybody. And so far, it hasn't suited Luca Purcell. He, of course, he nearly beat Gary Wilson that time, lost 10-9 in a, in a marathon last frame. Um, it may turn around. Joe Johnson struggled to win a match there, and then, of course, he won the tournament in 1986. But uh, as to your question, is he the most successful player with the worst crucible record? Well, there have been other players who have won matches, but their sort of overall career record is not matched up by their crucible record. So Mark Allen would be the obvious example. You know, he's won... 
what, seven ranking events and the Masters and, and the Champion of Champions, but they've been in one World Championship semi-final. Uh, I get the feeling that might change this year, but long way to go yet. But let us know if anyone else, uh, any thoughts on that. Uh, you know, it's, not, it's a bit of a backhanded sort of <laughs> way of looking at things. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 there's time for it to improve. Luca, compared to a lot of other top 16 players, he's still young. So I, uh, I still think, I mean, I love watching him play. So he's one of my favourite players to watch. So hopefully he will find support with the cruise book. So I think he'd be very popular there. Now then, Jennifer writes, Thanks for reading out my email a few weeks ago. I'm not ashamed to admit I was giddy with excitement when you read it out. So in a desperate attempt to replicate that adrenaline hit, I'm writing in again with a couple of questions. My first relates to the use of video footage to review refereeing decisions. There was a discussion in the Eurosport studio during the Northern Ireland Open when Rachel Casey asked what the position was with this, but neither of the pundits were too sure. Being a curious sort, I had a look at the rules and was surprised to see there's provision for the referee to take evidence from spectators as well as the marker and other officials. Does this actually mean spectators in the audience, which would seem like a terrible idea? If not, who would be included within this? And have there been any notable examples of this happening? Well, we'll deal with this first. I remember the world final. Um, Higgins, sorry, Selby Higgins, I think it was. Jan Verhas was the referee and there was an incident um, where it wasn't quite sure, I think, whether he'd reached uh, or hit a ball or something. Anyway, he made a call. But, of course, the BBC pundits, Parrot and Hendry, I think it was, or I think John Parrot was definitely involved, maybe Steve Davis as well, were sat in the, in the little bubble studio. And, of course, they had the they had the replays on the on the coverage and they actually sort of tapped the window and, and, and sort of put Jan right and he changed his mind. And there's an argument to say he shouldn't refer to um, anyone else, but what we want is the decisions to be correct. So I personally think we should use this video um, facility if it's available. It's not on every table, but if it's available, we should absolutely use it. I mean, there's been a couple of examples. Leo Scullion, the Scottish Open a couple of years ago, he did refer actually to the camera. He went to, they looked through one of the TV cameras and they played the replay on it to a judge, uh, a foul, whether it was a foul or not. But then shortly, and, and World Snooker Tour said he was right to do that. He was, it was, it was acceptable he could do that. But then at the Masters, there was an incident where it wasn't clear whether Ali Card had hit the yellow or not. And the referee on that occasion, Desi Shlava Boshalova, didn't refer to video evidence. And again, Will Snooker said she was right. So it seemed to me that, you know, they can't both be right. There's either a convention you can refer to evidence or not. I was watching the the women's rugby final the other day and they went to the sort of video evidence room, uh, you know, the adjudication room, and there were banks of screens and, 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 you know, it's proper sort of technology. And you get that in football, you get that in cricket with the video referees. In snooker, it's very old-fashioned, isn't it? It's people looking at screens and, and squinting and trying to work out, you know, where the balls were and all that. We just want it to be right. And if people at home can see if it's right, then the referee should be able to see it. So I would like to see... Not asking the audience is not really, I think, what it's all about, but certainly use the technology that's there. And, you know, like I say, it all, all everybody, players spectators, everyone in the game, media, just want the, the, the calls to be right and, and, and make the referees' lives as easy as you can because it's not an easy job. It's a tough job. Jennifer continues, my other question relates to Judge Trump's comments about promoting the game. He mentioned that a lot of people running the game are in their late 50s and 60s. Is that actually true? Anyone that springs to mind is younger than that. Anyone that springs to my mind is younger than that, granted not by much, but still younger. I don't think age has anything to do with it. But he mentioned it, so I'd be interested to know how accurate that statement was. One final point. I recently enjoyed listening to you and Phil Yates commentating together 
at the UK qualifiers. It reminded me of the ex-pros commentating together at the World Championship qualifiers. It's nice to hear a different dynamic now and again. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Yes, I mean, it's always enjoyable working with Phil, of course. Uh, but in terms of... Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, the age thing at World Snooker, well, it, it's it's sort of true, I suppose. If you look at the World Snooker board, Barry Hearn's still on the board. He's in his 70s. His son, Eddie, he's in his 40s. Steve Dawson, who's the chairman now of World Snooker Tour, must be in his early 60s because he's worked for Barry for basically 40 years. Uh, you've got Miles Pierce and Nigel Oldfield. Now, they're both leaving, but they're on the board and they would be in their 50s. The youngest one... Well, the only other one on the board, but the youngest one is Simon Brownell, who's, I think, in his 30s. So he would be the only one of that World Snooker Tour board who are who is under 40. Um, Jason Ferguson, the WPSA chairman, he is in his early 50s. So it, it, it's, in terms of the very sort of top echelon, if you like, of administration, it is true. And you'll notice also they're all white men as well. That's the other thing we've got to say about them. Um, so it's not particularly diverse. There are other people... In the sport, though, who are younger and have ideas. I was just doing the, the, the thing last week. You mentioned the qualifying, the UK Championship qualifying. Um, there's a young guy, Sam Fletcher, who is the digital media manager. Now, he basically... Sam, I would say, is about 27. He basically ran the production. And he has got a lot of good ideas. Um, and he's coming from it in a very sort of modern way, from his, from his own generation, if you like. And that production... If you enjoyed it, that was, a lot of that was down to him and his and his his passion for it and just the way he kind of kept it all going and and brought ideas to the table. So, you know, if there were more people like him certainly involved, then I think snooker would definitely move in the direction that someone like Joe Trump would like it to. It's about hearing, I guess, I mentioned diversity from all different types of people, and you know, we need more kind of. Um, views from different generations who look at things differently. Um, but look, what they've done here at the UK Championship is terrific. And they have listened, and I'm not saying anything to do with me, but we had a podcast in the summer a few months ago now, and we had some you know, ardent snooker fans who came on and expressed their frustrations about what they felt was not done so well at tournaments. And, it, and that included stuff around the actual venue, and you know they wanted things to do and value for money. I think if you come here, you'll find that things are much better. I mean, you can watch certain players practice. They had a little thing with Mark Allen and people like Liam Highfield who were practicing in front of the public and, and they were able to ask them questions about what they were doing. And that's great. That interaction is fantastic. That's what we need more of, you know, lift the veil a little bit. and Because the players are t- terrific, you know, at, at, at engaging with, with the public. It's one of the best sports for that, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think th- there's been a definite shift in the right direction. I guess the, the, the challenge is to sort of raise up every tournament. You know, the majors, you know, are already prestigious. We need to have more of this sort of stuff, I guess, at, at the other events. But in terms of the, the specific criticism from Trump, it is true that the people who are in the real senior positions tend to be around that age bracket. I did also meet uh, a young man there, Jasper, who was on a, a placement with a matchroom, and uh, he's got some good ideas as well about... Uh, promoting the game mid-twenties and very passionate. So these people do exist. Uh, one thing I would say as well, though, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that older people <laughs> don't have something to contribute because what they have is experience and they'll know about things that people in their twenties won't know about. So what we need is, you know, bringing lots of different people together to try and, you know, build sport up. I think most people will probably agree with that. Let's move on to Alex, 
uh, he said, I hope this message reaches you well. I just wanted to say, and we're back now to the earlier subject, which was the qualifying coverage. I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed the TV coverage of Judgment Day earlier this week. What a treat for the viewer. Coverage and co-commentary on four simultaneous games. If one match went, to, if one match went a little scruffy or into a Dow safety battle, the camera shifted to another that was at a more exciting stage, such as when a player looked poised to make a big break or close out his match. It was simple but effective, just as sports broadcasting should be. Obviously, the fact you were one of the commentators wasn't lost on me, so well done, sir. A fine effort. The quality of the snooker, which was high throughout, bar Andy Hicks's inexplicable, unprofessional and childish meltdown against Lou Harshan, ironically 25 years his junior, was matched by the incisive analysis and upbeat banter. Just on that, well, yes, he, he, he smashed the pack off the break. I mean, you know, he, make whatever judgments you like, he sort of cracked, it happens. Uh, anyway, uh, Alex continues, I particularly enjoyed Wu's ultimately unsuccessful tilt at an unlikely comeback against Matthew Stevens and witnessing the fragility of both Fafai and Clark. While the above pair both got over the line in the end, they made a meal of closing out their matches against, with all due respect, much lesser opponents. That line, with all due respect, usually, <laughs> usually doesn't mean much respect. But anyway, uh, overall, the only criticism I could possibly level is with regard to the toe-curlingly biased attitude towards Jimmy White. While I understand that everyone inside Snooker loves the guy and that a 60-year-old qualifying for the Barbican is a massive story, it was clear that Phil Yates, Rob Walker, Ken Doherty and yourself all desperately wanted him to overcome Dominic Dale. Commentary should always be impartial, and on this occasion, the bias shown towards White was cringeworthy. On a lighter note, it was, <laughs> on a lighter note, it was amusing to see how convinced the whirlwind was that he would face Jack Nazowski in the last 32, despite it being a random seed versus non-seed draw. The above observation, notwithstanding, the whole day was a triumph for free live TV, a glorious treat for the viewers, and a superb shop window for snooker itself. Keep up the good work on the podcast. I know full well how tough it is to produce something engaging for listeners week in, week out. Thank you. Well, uh, the, the, the first thing I would say, if you, did, if you enjoyed the qualifying coverage, as I say, you know, it's being reviewed. So let World Snooker Tour know. You know, we'll tweet them, email them, whatever you want to do. If you enjoyed the free coverage of the qualifiers, we'd like to do more of it. So let them know, because obviously, you know, they're driven by, to a degree, by the public demand. So if the fans want it, then do let them know. Uh, in terms of the bias, I think that's a little harsh. I, I, I wasn't supporting Jimmy, but I, the way we, we did the commentary, was, it was not really like TV commentary because so much of it was dependent on the interaction we had with the audience. And so many people were telling us their stories about Jimmy White, you know, memories of the whirlwind, and there was a great feeling towards him. Now, Dominic Dale is a friend of mine. I would be delighted for Dominic to have won but maybe we got a bit caught up in the emotion of it, but I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, <laughs> on a day like that, an achievement like that, I'm not sure dry analysis was the way forward. But anyway, you're entitled to uh, to your view on all of that. Uh, now, we'll uh, we'll maybe do a couple more, because the matches are, uh, are approaching for another round here at the UK Championship. We'll end on this, this point about the seating, which is something that's been sort of talked about for a while on this podcast. Uh, Mark and John from London. We've been to many live snooker events. We rock our chairs and our bottoms have suffered in silence. <laughs> While many people may be grateful for the silence, I doubt many would wish for the suffering. After the event, we got the usual customer satisfaction survey in which we were horrified to be asked if we would be happy to rent or buy the cushions of future events. Our preference at events is to get all-day passes for a few days and pop in and out choosing which matches to watch and when we want food or toilets. To have to carry a cushion around with us for three days would be very annoying. Please, if anyone involved is listening, could you include either them in the price of the ticket or perhaps supply them free to tempt more comfortable bottoms to sit quietly all day enjoying the event? This is very important to us. We make this plea from the heart of our bottoms. 
The word bottoms appears a lot in this. Anyway, while writing about comfort and enjoyment at live snooker events, we echo what many have said about the need for better food options and a better stock to shop for merchandise. An idea we had would be for tournament-specific merchandise for us to collect and keep as a memento. We understand programmes are only produced for the big three events, but a tournament-specific item with the year and venue on it would be great to collect. We loved your idea for the senior players earning their free tour cards by meeting the fans and perhaps a photo opportunity in front of a tournament-specific banner will tick many boxes. After a tournament, the thing we get most excited about and tell our friends about is which players you bumped into and how friendly they were. Well, thank you, and there's an offer to buy me a drink as well, which uh, if I had any time off, you could do. But uh, anyway, um, yes, well, uh, yeah, you don't want to carry a cushion around, you're quite right. Uh, but the food options at York, I mean, it, you know, they described it as a food court. It's actually two vans outside, but <laughs> but it's better than nothing. And um, I've not sampled it myself, but I saw people earlier milling around there. So th- there are options, you know, at least you don't have to sort of catering for yourself. I mean, to be fair, catering for yourself in York is quite easy because it's a short walk to a lot of restaurants and places to go. That's not true of every venue. Um, but I do think World Snooker Tour deserve a little bit of credit for trying to build up the UK Championship. They have made an effort. They have listened to what people have said. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan made some very strange comments about, um, you know, he'd rather it go back to how it was before. I mean, I just don't, don't get that at all. But anyway, um, I think most people have said, and I agree, that it is... It, it looks better, it feels better, it feels like a bigger event. It feels like the UK Championship, you know, which is, which is a big event. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating uh, fascinating week to see who comes through and who wins the title at the weekend. But that is it for now. So any more questions, queries, comments on anything you've heard or not heard? Any experiences you've had? What did you make of it? You went to York. I met Dave Tyndall earlier. Oh, I met Dave Tyndall. Um, he seems to have enjoyed himself so far. Um, but uh, yes, if you've had any uh, any positive or negative feedback about the week, if you actually spectated, because we keep saying how much of an improvement it is, but the public actually are the ones that will decide that ultimately. If you've spent your money, if you've come along, let us know. Snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. And uh, well, that's it for now. So we will return next week. We'll look back on what's happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, for now, that's it. We're part of the Sports Social Network. Check out the other podcasts. And as we always say, and we do always say it, goodbye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.